From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about self-acceptance and discovery. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is Savannah, a dual gender author and podcaster who shares her experience living with cross-dressing. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Transgender Show. Why it's particularly important for us to talk to somebody who identifies as a cross-dresser is we talk very often in the community about gatekeeping and why gatekeeping is bad. And yet we still see so much of it happens within the community. And one of the particular areas where it does, where it happens a lot is with cross-dressers. So welcome to the transgender show, Savannah. I am super excited. Uh, when I found out I could be on the show when I was invited on, it was uh, kind of an honor to say, it's kind of an honor to be on your show. Starting off and I've already kind of spoiled this a lot. How do you identify? Yeah, you really did spoil it, but you kind of misled. It was a red herring because okay. you misled the audience. Because cross-dressing is what I do, mm-hmm. but dual gender or bi-gender or non-binary is who I am, my gender. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a huge misconception about people label us. And we label ourselves many times as cross-dressers, which we are. I mean, it's a noun. You can make it a noun. But it's not really indicative of our identity or expression. I'm actually fighting the fight of getting away, get, get the populace away from the use of the term in terms of it being your noun, your label, mm-hmm. and make it more of a the action, the art form, the thing you do to get from your masculine side to your feminine or vice versa. Um, so for me, I finally realized or made that realization after 20 years uh, as a full grown adult, as a, saying I'm a crossdresser, mm-hmm. uh, knowing I was a transvestite or a crossdresser from the age of six. But it only was in the last couple of years that I realized, oh, well, that doesn't really explain my gender. So that's when I realized, as I did more research for either the books or for myself, that it was really not about the label of crossdresser. It was about the label I would give myself, which, again, there's a kind of a cornucopia of overlapping titles, labels that you can use for somebody like myself. But I, yeah, dual gender or bi-gender is the way I would represent myself gender-wise. Wonderful. And that, that's such an important distinction. And I'm glad you brought to that. And it's, why it's important is that discussion of how many people feel that cross-dressers don't belong within the trans community. And again, why we fight so adamantly for it. You identify as both genders at different times, correct? Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, six days of the week, I am happy in my male form with typically well, pretty much 100% of the time with some sort of underdressing as a part of that experience. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'm presenting as a man, going to work, letting my beard grow, um, you know, being sensitive, you know, like the new men are these days. But, you know, carrying with me all the things that make Savannah part of who I am, mm-hmm. I carry that into my male persona uh, as a softer person, a little more empathetic, I'd like to think. Have, it's different than the typical, like, kind of mach, the machismo and kind of toxic masculinity that we kind of expect from men. But I do spend the majority of my, my week as Chuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to my Sundays or special days like tonight with you, um, I'm more than happy to don my Savannah and, um, you know, either be with you with with the world, you know, through the internet, or even go out for coffee to do some writing on my book, you know, just 
be out in the world as Savannah because to be Savannah behind closed doors is really just a bigger closet you're hiding in. Yeah. But for me, valid it's not about being validated. It's not about people like saying, Oh my god, you're so brave. It's so amazing what you do. I don't it, it's lovely to receive those compliments when they're genuine. But for me, it's just about like being out in the world and being able to move as a person in the world without getting stares or finger finger pointing or something along those lines. So it's been a, a big deal for me to get to that point of just being an advocate based on visibility and the ability to connect with people and tell my story on a, a personal level one on one. Going back and forth between the two identities, do you find yourself suffering from dysphoria or any kind of struggles in keeping the identities uh, separate enough for for what you need in those times? Or is there a lot more blurring for you than there might be for someone who is trans? Really, when it boils down to uh, how I feel about my body, my male side I've lived with my entire life. It's been something that people accept. It's something that people have no problem seeing me and nobody's pointing and gawking. It's just part of like, I'm accepted as a man, therefore I don't put a lot of thought into how I look as a man. But I'm always struggling with the want to, to do so well with what I have as a man and do something that makes me not see the man underneath the makeup and the wig. So there has been years, I've spent probably the last 10, 15 years constantly seeing my face fully done, but only seeing my male face. Yeah. Because I know the lines of my face. I know what I look like as a man. So when I see the feminine presentation, I could never see it. Yet other people would say, Oh my God, I didn't even recognize you. I would have never guessed it was you. Wow. So that was that dysphoria that I had to wrestle with and get over by recognizing the feminine qualities that I'm exuding. I have to start seeing myself the way they see me. I have to look in their mirror, not in my own mirror. So that's the struggle I've had even now, you know, which is body shape and making sure, you know, I use the right padding and the right breast forms to get the right curves and the proportions and the symmetry. All those things I've tried very, very hard to do because I want to, for a couple of reasons, I want safety. Uh, being unclockable is very important for my safety. And I think those are things that have led me to be very concerned about my presentation because for me, I feel like on a 10 scale, I need to be a 15 uh -huh. or try to achieve a 15 in order to feel like I'm achieving a six. Mm -hmm. And those are that kind of body image issues I think everyone can relate to, whether trans or cis. We're so ingrained with like how we should look. Versus just embracing who we are and how our, our best presentation. Have you had any struggles with the Chuck presentation, feeling like you were acting too feminine? Typically not, but the more comfortable I become as Savannah, the more bleed back there is in Chuck. Like, for instance, I was in a meeting with all the executives one day in Chuck presentation, and I crossed my legs in a way that was leg over leg, tight to the leg. And I put my hands on top of my, my knee. Oops. <laughs> which when I look down, I'm like, oh shit, I just, I'm, you know, crossing the legs like a girl. So I instantly 
recognize that and stop doing it, or at least like try to like, you know, oh, undo that so nobody notices. But in, in those ways, physically, I don't really have that happen as often, but it happens. I try to be who I am, but I've never been accused of like, oh, you're, you're, you're so girly. Yeah, <laughs> that's never had been a problem. In the pre-interview, we were talking and you have a domestic partner. Yes. A lot of us started with like panties or whatever, undergarments, like you said, under your male clothes. When did it become for you something that you needed to go all the way with? Were you with this partner at that time? No, uh, when I first did my first head to toe mm -hmm. was in 1996. What I realized that I had an attraction to feminine clothing about the age of between five and seven. And that, you know, it followed me all the way through. And, you know, there was high points, low points. And I had some girlfriends in high school that I kind of shared. I like to wear women's clothing, but didn't know how to label myself. They were very supportive. And I think it might have been that young love and we're experimenting. I think they were kind of on board with it just from that perspective of this new innocent love. And, oh, you want to wear, you know, my my. Uh, Lingerie, okay, that's cool. You know, it just was very much matter of fact. But it took, um, I got married. Mm -hmm. I went, and so I went from Michigan to New York City, from Detroit to New York City. And that was when I realized that the conservative Midwest is no place for a young crossdresser. So that was when I realized, oh my God, look, there's drag queens. Oh, oh my God, there's a whole a restaurant called Lucky Chang's where they are the staff and the entertainers. And this is amazing. And people cheer them on and give them tips. And it really opened my eyes to what was possible in an environment that was more supportive. So that was with my wife's health. And my wife was also going through her own sexual journey. Um, discovering her um, attraction to other women. So as she was following her path, uh, her and her friends, uh, and kind of like my den mothers, were helping me follow my path. Hmm. So my first head to toe was like in 1996-97, where they made me up, I had got a wig, got the, this, you know, the little LBD, and I had a coming out, and we went to the clubs. And that was like my first time of embracing that. Um, but unfortunately, didn't last. Um, we went our own ways and our own journeys. And, you know, I commend her for what she needed to do and her for me. And so I had a string of girlfriends, but it was always the most important thing in each of my relationships that they knew that Savannah was a thing, was part of who I was. Pretty much the moment that I knew it was becoming serious. We're not talking about like fifth date. We're talking about when we realized that there was an attraction. Then I was like, hey, 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 whoa, 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 I got to show you something on my phone, or I got to show you a picture of me from this old Polaroid. And it was always the first thing that I wanted to do in a relationship because I did not want this to be this thing where I had to keep hiding it and like have a stash of clothes somewhere. It was just not feasible for me to hide it. So for me, even with my current partner, um, I told her right away when we were getting serious. And when I told her, I had to go someplace uh, shortly thereafter. So we didn't really talk much about it. And come to find out her best friend had been in a relationship, a toxic relationship with a fetish dresser who was only dressing for a bedroom. And um, that, unfortunately, was the only thing my girlfriend understood was like, oh, all cross-dressers are this fetishy bunch of perverts like to dress in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. So that was actually where my first book sprang from, 
because all the books that she was reading to help educate herself were very much the the stereotypical transitioning experience that even if you said oh he is a crossdresser five years later they transitioned so i couldn't defend myself because every book did not have a non-transitioning component to it yeah it's always like you start here and you end up as a woman that yeah. was the only the only trail to follow and every time i tried to assert and insist that no i'm not looking to transition this is just a presentation as part of my psyche that i need to express it's like yeah but you're going to want to transition like and it was always a fear of transition yeah um because that's not what they signed up for so for me it was it was a battle with partners to say no, I'm happy where I am in my duality. I'm happy being, being non-binary. Like I'm not looking to make all these medical or hormonal or uh, permanent changes or semi-permanent changes to be a woman full-time. Where is the balance for you between Chuck and Savannah to find the, the peace that you need with, with both identities? And how has that worked out in the, in the relationship? Do you feel that you have been able to find a balance within the relationship that that satisfies both sides enough? The balance is, you know, six days, Chuck, one day, Savannah, typically is more than enough. Um, you give me five, six, seven hours of Savannah, the contacts need to come out. Um, you know, my my feet hurt from the heels. You know, it, it's like there's a point where I'm like, okay, I'm good. Savannah's had her run, and now let's now comfort is no longer the primary. It's now like now I'm kind of battling discomfort to like soldier on, and I've kind of grown into realizing you don't need to suffer as much to have your presentation. So for me, it's like you know, usually from 10 a.m. to let's say 4 p.m. on a Sunday. I get ready, I go out, I have my coffee, I work on my story or I work on the blog or Instagram, just kind of do my work. We do the podcast on Sundays when I'm Savannah. So that's the balance. Usually like once, twice a week for a period of hours will more than satisfy the kind of incessant need or angst of, of missing my feminine side. Mm -hmm. Then the rest of the week is taken up with the underdressing that gives me that kind of tactile um, kind of reminder of my femininity as well. And actually, there's been weeks where it's been a drudgery to drag myself out of bed to be like, oh, I really don't want to shave. I really don't want to spend 90 minutes getting ready. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? My body is telling me not to do it. So why am I forcing it? But then there's other times where it's just laziness. As soon as I, and as soon as I get into the routine of getting ready and going through the rituals of like the, the expression and the, the transformation, then I don't regret kind of getting over myself and, and going out and doing what I want to do. Because at that point now I am refreshed. I am revitalized. And I'm like, yeah, it was stupid. Why wouldn't I want to do this today? <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause it will be another week before I get to, how does that fit within a narrative of the, of the relationship? It's been a long road. I won't lie because again, my girlfriend came from a place of, not knowing anything about trans, about the umbrella, about uh, identity and expression, all those things were a mystery. So even with educating herself and me as like answering questions, 
it was still very fearful. It was still very something where she's like, okay, I understand that you need to dress, but I'm scared that you're going to transition. And that was always a fear of if she allows more, I'm going to want more. Yeah. If she says it's okay to you know get my legs shaved, then I'm going to want to shave something else. Or that that's all going to lead to the end, which is her being with a woman, which is not what she had intended. Um, as we've gone through the years and grown and evolved, she's uh, become way more comfortable with me. Um, she's become... Uh, a staunch advocate for who I am and what I need to do. She gives me the leeway to do the stuff I need to do, uh, both for advocacy and for projects I need to do. Uh, so she gives me that that width and breadth to do that. And also, you know, she's becoming, has become way more comfortable with Savannah as a part of who I am, as just an expression of who I am and not just, Oh, oh, you're going to put on that and turn into a woman. Okay. Yeah. I really don't, I is out of sight, out of mind. Don't tell me Yeah, it's not that. And I know many couples do that where it's like, okay, I, I respect what you need to do, but I don't want to know anything about it. They don't want to know. They don't want to learn because there's so much fear attached to the unknowing or the uncertainty of it. Um, and while many partners may transition, because as you said, we kind of all started as cross-dressing, yeah, that's like the way station for many of us. Um, but for me, this is where um, I feel best. My duality is where I'm most happy. I don't have to fall into the trap of having to make a choice. Having to say I have to abandon my femininity to be accepted or I have to abandon my masculinity to embody my femininity at all times. You mentioned being in the relationship where the the woman is afraid of the transition, which again is very common, but what that yeah. leads to is is sort of a don't ask, don't tell. And for me, as it sort of grew and became more and more, and I didn't understand, I couldn't, I couldn't explain it well to her. I couldn't explain the drive that I was feeling at all. And so, with with her take on it, it had to be this closeted, under the rug sort of a thing that we just never talked about. And it's like, well. I've moved beyond the point that you knew, but I can't talk to you about it because it, it, it freaks you out. And now I'm just terrified that as the, the moment you find something or learn about something else that's happened, like it, it's over. So I spent, mm -hmm. you know, three years of my marriage, just an abject terror of what would happen if something was discovered. And that, let me tell you, that's no way to live. Yeah, and I think that, like I said, that could be for a crossdresser and their spouse. It is somebody who does start that way in transitions. I mean, there's even a fear about people who are the more uh, kind of sexualized version of that, where their partner didn't sign up to be a lesbian, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden their their male partner wants to explore this in sexuality. Um, and I think there's there's a, a disparate problem in that people just assume that sexuality has gender roles. Like, sex is sex, right? I mean, we can enjoy sex in a thousand different ways, whether it's positionally, whether it's how you dress, role play. You know, there's so many things that we can explore, and a lot of people are so puritan about it. 
is that it's really like just one specific way and that's what sex should be and mm -hmm. anything outside of that is is not acceptable or I'm, I'm afraid of what that could mean it's not even about the act that they're afraid of they're afraid of what it could mean yeah or later down the road and i think a lot of that is constantly pursuing us in our relationship with our family with our partners at work out on the streets is that there's always this the fear that we put on ourselves of what will people think of me the way i am today because they assume that that means so many other things that means so many other labels that means i'm a pervert a predator you know i'm just trying to get into the woman's bathroom so i spent all this time looking this good so i can hang out in a girl's bathroom with the odds that something's gonna happen. no no it's like you know this is this is why when you talk about gatekeeping i'm gonna now i'm gonna swing back around to that conversation gatekeeping in a lot of ways is because the cis population use those tactics of oh you just want to be a pervert dressed as a woman so you can get access to the woman's room to accost somebody so they use that method in that that scenario in order to rule against the trans population to say oh we can't, yeah. we can't allow you to be in the woman's room as a woman because you're just doing all these things that we just assume that you all do because we know what crossdressers do or we know what you know drag queens do it's like everybody's got this vague strange notion of what they think cross-dressing is what they think drag is what they think trans is they have all these weird indoctrinated uh archaic notions and they use those ploys to oppress the trans community and so unfortunately because of that because the trans community the people who need the most support either in healthcare or equal rights or non-discriminatory uh, issues because the people they're fighting against use cross-dresser as an example for why not to take positive action that can become something where i don't want you in my group because every time i hear the word cross-dresser it's a ding against my equality a ding against my ability to have health care my you know it's like yeah. all those things come into play because the people making the rules throw the same label on everybody therefore we don't have to do anything positive to support equality I think there's two things I want to note. One is that uh, cross-dressing is considered fetishistic in many regards. Therefore, it's used as a, a power play against doing anything for the trans community. Mm -hmm. So I understand why people would have a bad taste in their mouth about people who are not committed to transitioning. Okay. And, and I say it that way because sometimes that's the second point is that, you know, when I was a young crossdresser, before I realized I was really a woman, and your journey should end up there too. Yeah. I think there, there is a huge divide that people just assume that if a man chooses to dress as a woman, they're just denying the fact that at the end of the day, they want to be a woman. And while your story led you that way, I am so content and balanced and happy to be both. Mm -hmm. I, so why is it that it's harder to understand my duality versus the fact that, well, you need to, to choose or be or, or want one or the other in a very binary fashion. Mm -hmm. You either you're assigned male birth that, that needs to be female in a binary way versus like the understanding of, Hey, so you don't, 
have to choose, but you feel both. You feel this feminine spirit, the, like the divine femininity. And you choose and have enough honor in yourself to show that to the world. So that's where I come in. I come in honoring both my male self, my day-to-day life, and honoring the femininity that I, I need to exude and need to express and do it out in the world in a way that's not just me closeted, sitting at home, you know, at the couch watching Netflix, because I've done that. There's zero personal, like, at-the-soul fulfillment. Just spending that time getting ready and then sitting at home doing nothing. Like, because it's for me, it's a reminder that... By sitting in the house, it's still a larger gilded cage that is a proof that what I'm doing is shameful. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't you just do it at home? Well, why not can't you do it at home is both, I want you to be safe from a spouse or partner perspective. That's why they'll say those things. I don't want you to go out and get hurt. So can't, why can't you just do it here and be happy? And then the second thing is, yeah, but is if you tell me I can't go out, it means that either you're ashamed of me or you're afraid that people will be ashamed of me. Therefore, there's shame in who I am. I have no problem. I'm like I'm like the perfect like kind of starter kit. <laughs> Somebody trying to delve into the trans experience uh-huh. because I will field any question. Mm-hmm. And that's so important to be um humble and to be Open and accessible for people who maybe don't know how to have that conversation, but are happy that once you sit down, I've made Republican Trump supporting friends at Starbucks who the first thing they said to me was like, can I ask you a question? Like about my Uh cross-dressing, like why I do it. And we became very good friends and they introduced me to other friends that are very good friends. People who cross-dress have this opportunity, and sometimes, like, you can be more open and talk about these things more easily, it, it sounds like, whereas trans people feel like, I'm stuck with this, I'm locked into this, but you mm. have the ability to come into it and go out of it as you please, yes. and yes. therefore, you, you know, you have some kind of privilege that I don't, so damn you, basically. I so agree with what you just said. I mean, you hit it on the head, the nail on the head, because yes, I feel like I would, I have more respect for you, Emily, somebody who's living this authenticity 100%. Okay. For me, I feel that I'm a coward in comparison because I do have that ability that if things get dicey, I can just retreat into my maleness and nobody and throw the wig off of the, as I run to the car. I can retreat to that. I can hide to that. And that's what makes cross-dressing folk, non-transitioning folk, sometimes their own worst enemy. Because one, they don't have the requirement to be out in the world as their femme selves or vice versa, as their, you know, assigned female birth male selves 100% of the time. Therefore, we tend to be more hidden, tend to be more private. We tend not to put ourselves out there in a way that requires visibility and uh, being vocal. So fortunately, we end up being a very hidden kind of underrepresented group in the community, in the trans community, because we are so under the radar. We are uh, prone to like kind of shrink back from the responsibility of being our feminine truth or being our male truth. Those are important things that we need to overcome and get more people who are non-binary, but non-transitioning 
to come forward and say, no, this is my truth today. Uh If you're gender queer or gender fluid, you wake up and say, I need to be feminine today. Or it's Wednesday. I need to feel masculine today. I just feel that today. Mm-hmm. Whereas mine is more scheduled. Mine's more routine. I, you know, I do set aside a specific time, keeps me in balance, keeps me happy. I don't get depressed and kind of you know, melancholy because I miss Savannah for so long. But also, I feel it's so uber important to get the word out to say it is okay to be a dual gender male who has a feminine expression walking into the Walmart superstore shopping, be okay with that and let people see you. I put so much work and effort in the last probably 15 years to get to a point where I feel that I'm representing the group um, in, in a very positive way. You talk about, you, you've said it this way, the trans experience. In reality, we all are living human experiences. Just because a cis woman or a cis man has kind of a, a, a rare understanding of what it's like to be dysphoric and feel like your your body is not your own or shouldn't be your own, they might not feel that. But as I mentioned earlier, where I see life is like I have my own problems with my body image. In every human on the planet, no matter how beautiful they are, no matter how amazing they look to us, will all have their own same body image, self body images, right? I know Pink hates the way she looks, the the rock star. I think she's amazing and she's a goddess, but she sees herself in a very poor light sometimes. And we have to understand, it's like just because somebody looks like a supermodel and runs the catwalk doesn't mean they feel great about themselves. Yeah. So what you are experiencing and what I am experiencing and what probably the entire audience is experiencing, we are living human emotions. We have human fears. We want to be accepted because the human creature is a very social creature. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted because of the fact that you and I are on this specific journey that's not in the kind of the social norm, the social fabric that everybody's kind of aware how it works. And maybe the the cis of community can't like you know comfort us in that way because they don't understand what it is to be us. Mm-hmm. But yet I can't understand what it's like to be anybody else. Yeah. So the only thing I can do, which leads to my second point, which is yes, when I did my TED talk, uh, my co-host for the podcast told me, "Oh my God, your TED talk came on." I'm like, "Oh my God, I gotta see it." She's like, "Don't read the comments." I read the comments. I read all 600 and some comments. Uh, The majority of those in the first 24 hours were brutal. They were ignorant. They were cruel. They were, you know, so many things that were negative. It kind of gave me, it made me lose my faith in humanity for a little while. Because it's like, wow, I expected some venom. Like the fact it was so overwhelming in the first 24 hours of its release was very hard for me. But I read every one because if we don't understand or we don't have compassion and empathy for the most vile thing that's said to us, it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with who they are as a person. Whether to be a troll, whether they're ignorant, whether they were indoctrinated in a certain way, a belief system, have trauma. So we have to be above that. Yes, I could judge those people, 
But that's like that initial response. And really, it's what is the next response, the more thoughtful response that we would give? Mm-hmm. Say, you know what? I know you said terrible things, but what does that mean? What does that mean to me? How should I take it? And can I take something positive from it? And two, what is your life? What, what should I know about you? If I were to have an open dialogue about you, maybe you were bullied as a kid. Maybe you came from a broken home. Maybe you were abused. Maybe uh, you had a string of girlfriends that end badly. Maybe you're just in a bad frame of mind right now. It's like those are all things that we don't understand about anybody around us. And I think if we take that moment to reflect that way, it makes understanding others' opinions a little bit easier. Look at those who are uh, very devout and religious. They believe to their core that somebody like me, somebody like you, may be like, you know, they know we're going to hell, let's say. So mm-hmm. they actually have compassion for us because they want us to go to heaven. Doesn't mean that the belief, their the, the heart is in the right place, even if all their actions speak to a very specific kind of misunderstanding of the human condition and loving thy neighbor and being Christ-like, right? So... You know, I try to give benefit of doubt to people unless they personally, personally, personally attack me in a visceral way where, you know, it's a confrontation. But, yeah, it's, it's all we can do to just, you know, be that better person so we can be that better example for everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from The Transverse Network. Watch this show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash The Transverse and later on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Transverse. Be sure to check out the Fox and the Phoenix podcast to hear more about Savannah's experience. If you love what we're doing and want to help support the Transverse and get access to exclusive content, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash the Transverse.